Welcome to the SNL podcast. I'm Rich Tackenberg, and I was going to start my little cold open today before we get to the show talking about the music of SNL. Um, and instead of doing that, I think we're going to take a pause on that. You know, uh, I've been watching the news today. We we're recording on Sunday afternoon. As many of you had, the news of the world is kind of sad, and uh, we're not going to deal with that today. Uh, we're obviously going to jump into SNL. And so I think instead of talking about that, I just want to start by saying thank God for SNL. Thank God for comedy and fun. You know, I'm certainly, uh, I don't think any of us listening to this and talking about Saturday Night Live right now are running from the world's problems, but boy, is a break so important and it's so nice. So I'm just so happy to have uh, an episode, maybe not uh, a watershed episode, but an episode of SNL to have watched, to have some laughs. And thank you guys for listening and, and for creating this place where we can just take a break from life. So, you know, for the next 60 minutes or so, we can just have fun, talk about SNL. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to get into there were some current events with like Alec Baldwin and some other stuff that I think given the tenor of the day, let's just focus on the comedy. Let's just focus on the show. Let's just focus on having fun. And, you know, when we all take the earbuds out of our ears, well, the, the real world will be waiting for us and there'll be enough to say about that. But for now, let's just go back in time and let's start with Saturday Night Live with my co-host as always, Mr. Mike Bloom. Hello, Mike. Hey, Rich. How's it going? It's been a few weeks. Uh, I'm excited to be back with you, uh, albeit, as you said, amongst more sober and circum somber circumstances outside of SNL. All that being said, I'm prepared to have a great time. But if anything goes south here, I'm prepared to take my kids to my sister's house and we'll go from there. <laughs> Wait, so I uh, I do know that, Mike, just so you know, you don't have to keep telling me. I do know that you'll be at your sister's house. So we're good. We're All right. Good. I'll check in. I'll check in in about halfway through the podcast just to make sure. All right. Good, good. So, well, let's start with Larry David and Miley Cyrus. I, I thought just, to, you know, let's set, set the table for a second, Mike, because I like to do just to start with. We're going to go sketch by sketch as we always do. Uh, you know, I thought this was a fun episode, uh, although maybe not my favorite episode. Um, it, it, to me, sort of the theme of this episode was there was a number of, of, of pieces of comedy where it felt like it was quantity over quality and that we threw in a lot of sketches live and taped. I felt like we just threw a lot of things into the sketch without digging deep on any one of those things, uh, which creates sort of a different, I think, sometimes more of that fun, not funny effect. Uh, and so it was a very sort of surfacey episode. There wasn't a lot of dig deep, uh, digging deep into it. But that said, I still thought there was there was a good amount of fun uh, and definitely some some fun stuff through the through through it. What did you think, Mike? Yeah. So going back to my rankings, I'm have been really torn. I'm actually still pretty torn at this point. To me, Kamel Nanjiani is still number one. Gal Gadot is still number four. But I've been really wrestling to see if this episode was better or worse than the Ryan Gosling season premiere. Because the thing is, I feel like this episode overall was more consistent. But also at the same time, I didn't like anything as much as I liked the papyrus sketch, for instance. Or even like woke jeans in that season premiere. So it's sort of like... Going back to every sort of subjective rubric you take when you do these sort of things, do you pride the episodes that are good all around and have consistency, or do you pride the episodes that have those moments that really make you say, God, I love watching this show? Uh, so I'm going to keep it at number three for right now, though. As we check in throughout the season, those things uh, might flip-flop. I do agree that I think there were some fun things in there. I mean, coming into this, uh, you know, I think our expectations from both of our perspectives were pretty high. Bernie Sanders, uh, oh, my God, a subliminal moment there. Uh, Larry hmm. David appear back in the, the big Bernie Sanders zeitgeist in early 2015. I think from both the writing and a performance perspective was not only one of the best episodes of that season, but of really the past few years of SNL. So a lot of hype to live up to, for my opinion. Did not really meet it. And I feel like, you know, Larry David was still being the same Larry David. I wonder if this was a case of just different writing. Uh, you've talked a few times about shakeups in the writer's room. And I wonder if this is sort of even though we're, we're four episodes in, uh, we're a month really into this season. It shows that I think the new writing staff and the new head writers are sort of trying to get their sea legs just a tiny bit. And I do agree with your point. A lot of these sketches felt like they had so much of the cast in it. And not to say that we didn't have sketches 
early on this season that did that as well. But that felt I feel like more sketches than usual really decided to say, OK, and then this person comes in and does this bit. Then this person comes in, which, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but it did make the sketches overall feel a little stuffed to the gills. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I I, I co-sign you uh, putting uh, this episode below Ryan Gosling. I thought there was probably a lot more solid stuff from that episode. So but let's jump in because there was a lot of funny to talk about within it, even if it was inconsistent. We start uh, which would for me was a surprise. I would have absolutely banked on a uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton talking about this sort of DNC, uh, you know, you know, topical events that have been going on. But no, we do bring back uh, we do bring back Alec Baldwin to be Trump, who visits Paul Manafort's house for our cold open here. Uh, and I, I thought there was some real funny writing here. The, you know, this was an interesting we're with Paul Manafort. We're going to go to the plane and we're going to see, uh, you know, Cecily Strong as Melania. Then we're going to come back to the shower and introduce a couple of more characters. Um, but I would say, you know, I'd say the first time I watched this, I thought it was good, but it felt very unfocused uh, when I watched watched it again, I definitely more uh, found there were a lot of funny jokes within it. I will also say because uh, watching it a second time on Hulu, I think they cleaned up some technical uh, lags and, and flubs. Um, so I thought there was really, uh, you know, I think this sketch definitely, uh, ironically, uh, the sort of non-Trump jokes were some of the funnier jokes. But in general, I, I thought it was good. And that, again, goes back to what I am hoping SNL eventually does with this political material is to concentrate on the people around Trump than necessarily Trump himself. Because even, you know, outside of this idea that you consistently have to bring in Alec Baldwin to do this, I mean, again, the man won a supporting actor Emmy, despite the fact that he was technically not a cast member on the show proper. I feel like the character itself is not really going anywhere. I am happy that they literally went somewhere outside of the White House, and it was an interesting concept. And I'll also parrot what I talked about during the third episode, where I feel like there were some interesting mini-sketch ideas almost baked into this. I actually liked uh, the... Even though doing cutaways in sketches is always a really, really weird idea. The more they did this cutaway of Melania and, you know, the uh, the autopilot inflatable from Airplane dressed up as mm-hmm. Trump on, the, on Air Force One... The more I kind of wanted to see a sketch about that, uh, or even at the end when Trump talks about how his big plan was to dress Paul Manafort up like a turkey and pardon him on Thanksgiving. I thought it would have been (laughs) fun to even just have a sketch based on that. We're getting into November, and I feel like we're not necessarily too early for the Thanksgiving references. We're going to have three weeks of them, presumably, over the course of this month. But that's me a little bit backseat uh sketch writing there but yeah i i agree that i think trump was probably the least uh interesting part of this sketch uh alex moffat is going to actually be a pretty key part of this episode in a myriad of ways starting with him here as paul manafort and as i talked about before i liked uh i like the weird characterizations of these supporting characters in the trump administration if you will between mike pence coming in fully dressed in a suit because he's not married to the water Jeff Sessions, they're still trying to figure out exactly what he is. I guess they're going in the realm of rodent-like possum hybrid. Okay, uh, you do you, go in that direction. But again, I'll say that in these Trump cold opens, Trump is becoming the least interesting part in my perspective. Yeah, a funny a funny takedown uh, related to Harvey Weinstein, which was a real shot at uh, at at Donald Trump. Uh, but in general, I agree. I thought there was some funny still stuff there. I did like when he, you know I like what they're doing with Pence. And you're right when he said I'm not married to the water. And then well, you know I like when Trump is talking about Pence and he says if I'm going down, I'm taking Church Lady with me. I thought that was very <laughs> funny. So it was fun. Yeah, the first of uh, many meta references on SNL. Yes, and I do think that uh, the the thing that they played well with Jeff Sessions is they're now. Playing playing him so extreme that it was good that you saved him for the end of the sketch because Mm -hmm. once you go that big it's then hard to go back and talk about i'm only wearing my ten thousand dollar suit um but i I really liked she uh she had a little run as jeff sessions talking about she's wearing her favorite bathing costume or she's wearing a bathing costume from her favorite place the the 1890s uh and then when she talked about how she thought they should all start getting used to wearing stripes so so yeah a lot lot of fun there a lot of silly again it's sort of a, a cut across a lot of different things before we get to, to any one deep thing. Um, and then we get to the monologue. We get to the Larry David monologue, which was 
fun and funny and odd and odd on a number of levels. Um, you know, I, you know, if it was so, uh, I mean, he was doing character work when we got to start with, I mean, he got to the bit about, you know, Quasimodo being very picky, great premise, fun writing, but, um, but definitely weird to see him doing a character. Did that throw you at all? Absolutely. And I actually watched back his monologue from 2015 before coming onto this podcast and like you said his work was much more self-focused it was uh you know i think the biggest quote-unquote dialogue he acted out was his parents yelling at him if he ever had an eating disorder about how it was just a waste of food uh but yeah he acted out like an entire scene within it and i do not think this performed as well as it did in 2015 i think we will obviously talk about the uh very controversial way that this monologue ended up but it was a very different take uh, not only in larry's delivery but i feel just like in his demeanor uh, i feel like with the first time he hosted he was so excited and full of energy as much of the weird energy as larry david can kind of put out into the world i don't know this time maybe he felt a little more weary but there were really interesting bits about you know oh i was a, a chauffeur for a blind lady uh you know talking about uh the condoms in his wallet now he has a booklet listing which fish have the highest mercury content this feels like the equivalent of what snl writers do sometimes of like okay we, we have this idea i guess we could flesh it out a little bit uh, to the point of where even in the middle of the monologue he was saying like oh, I, I, I think i'm doing pretty good which is obviously yeah, like yeah. a typical like ld self-deprecating moment that i think really got the audience on his side before before uh that moment happened yeah the other thing i would say just sort of focusing on the comedy and i can't prove this but i but i i i know this to be true as bill maher says it was the first time i can remember somebody doing stand-up comedy but reading off cue cards he wasn't reading word for word but he kept going back to the cue cards and that created a weird a, a weird moment for me or a weird um, a weird uh, feeling to it where if you have Louis C.K. come out, he's doing his monologue. Dave Chappelle's going to come out and do his monologue that he's been rehearsing in the clubs, Kumal Nunjani's that got this material down. Uh, and this was a weird vibe of you you're relying on cue cards, I believe, to do stand-up comedy, which then I think sort of threw off the timing that you kind of inherently need for it to, for it to work. So. Yeah, and, and you yeah. spoke about Louis C.K., who I think was probably the last host to really bring about a lot of controversy in his monologue a couple of years ago when he uh, sort of made the joke of like, hey, if, if child molesters get such a harsh punishment, I mean, what they're really striving for must be really good from their perspective. And it drew a lot of ire. Uh, this one drew even more where Larry decides to end his monologue by talking about uh, could someone pick up another person at a concentration camp uh, back in the days of the Holocaust. So obviously, uh, you know, I think this has drawn a lot of reaction specifically on social media. I'd love to hear your reaction to it, Rich. You know, I, you know, it's sort of like I'm sort of weary of sort of current events and sort of, I, you know, that I would say watching it, I felt like, you know, this felt like, you know, you, we've seen a lot of comedians from Louis C.K. and even Kumal Nanjani sort of take on edgier material. But but, you know, Larry David's a different guy. He's a different comedy presence. His his edgy comedy material is sort of going into the taste issue and and pulling the minutiae. I thought comically it was just. Just fine. I, I don't actually my personal opinion is I don't know that he was actually, impl you know, implying that anyone who had at the time gone through this horrible thing with their experience was less than it really was. I I just thought it was m mediocre in its comedy. It was an interesting like a lot of these bits. It was it was almost more like, oh, this is an interesting area. Where are you going to go? Oh, we're on to the next thing. And I, I kind of felt like this similar to the fact that a lot of these sexual predators are Jewish, which was a very interesting place where you're like, oh, nobody would go here. And then really nothing comes of it. We just sort of get it. We move on. So uh, for me, it was just sort of, you know, it, it was interesting. Uh, it did not offend me. Um, but I sort of when I'm watching Saturday Night Live, I think I have a different bar for offense. And uh, but I don't I don't know that he did anything. I think maybe the biggest offense was uh, I, I think that if you were to if you were to interview 
Louis C.K. and Kumail and Dave Chappelle, you know, and Aziz Ansari off the record and say, what do you think of this? I think they would say his Larry's crime was going there, but then not really going there. If you're going to go there, go there and and play it out to the point where we're seeing your take on the world uh, being brought to this controversial subject as opposed to sort of a, a silly premise of a Seinfeld episode, you know, sort of, uh, you know, at another or a curb your enthusiasm at another level. Yeah. Let's remember that this is the guy who helped write an episode of Seinfeld 20 years ago where Jerry and his girlfriend make out during Schindler's List. So I, it's, it's not like something that completely came out of nowhere. And I'm in the same boat as you in that it's not something that personally offends me. But that doesn't necessarily mean I can completely understand why other people may take offense to it. I just didn't really like it as a joke overall. I think that, like you said, he could have gone much further with it. I did actually kind of like uh, when he decides to like, present the what would the opening line be like. I like that moment. I just sort of went, hoped that he would kind of go further with it. You know, like you said, if you go through the trouble right. to, to go into that sort of uh, murky territory, you know, really play in that. And it felt like he didn't really. And I think, again, just representative of the monologue overall, I thought there were some enjoyable bits, but nothing that I'll really remember for a good reason uh, the next day, because nothing was really elaborated on, unfortunately. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, we come out of this, we go to a sketch that I think we're going to sort of continue on this theme. Uh, we're going to do the celebrity edition of The Price is Right, uh, starting with Beck Bennett doing what I think on paper was a Drew Carey impression. Um, I don't I haven't seen Drew Carey host the, the, the Price is Right, although I know him from many years of his other shows. I don't know that this was actually an impression or not. Um, but this was another like there was definitely a lot of fun moments more fun than funny for me as we're really sort of rapid fire we're packing a lot of impressions a lot of celebrities thrown in from four contestants to a spokesperson and then a commercial from tony bennett really sort of all over the place um so again i thought a lot of quick little fun jokes couple of uh of, of cameos which i'll talk about in a second um but i don't know that anything for me for me really landed hard other than I could watch Alec Baldwin do Tony Bennett all night long. I could watch a 90 minute one man show of him doing Tony Bennett. So um, normally I'm not a poop joke kind of guy, but that for me was wonderful. Um, I don't know. Did you feel differently? It's clear that SNL is really trying to search for the heir apparent to celebrity jeopardy. But I guess their solution is also unfortunately picking game shows that balloon the number of contestants. I feel what works so well about Celebrity Jeopardy is that you say, okay, introduce person one, one line joke, person two, one line joke, person three, one line joke, and then you're able to get into the game itself. Here, like you said, they had to introduce not only each celebrity, but the partner who came with them. And with those straight people also came like their own little predetermined relationships. I also think it's a nice little in-joke that it was uh, Bernie Sanders, Larry David with Pete Davidson, considering that I believe still Pete Davidson is yep. dating Larry David's daughter. So a nice little uh, meet your possible father-in-law moment there. But I was completely surprised to say, OK, we're coming to showcase uh, to the to the wheel. Here's Alec Baldwin. And my personal highlight of the sketch, um, totally like small cameo, but Melissa Villasenor's Ariana Grande, I thought was pitch perfect. You know, seeing Alec Baldwin channel Tony Bennett brings back why he ho he's hosted SNL all those times and why he's able to really create a recurring character out of it. But then we bring in Sofia Vergara as well. It felt a little overstuffed to the point of where once we got back to the contestants, they did the bidding and their bits for what, like 30 seconds and then the sketch was over. So I thought that it was fun watching these impressions. I have a feeling this is what SNL might be utilizing moving forward for their big celebrity uh, touting game show premise. Uh, I just wish it was a little more honed down personally. Well, and I think that's why I think that they're looking, you know, you, you, I think you're seeing a different format because it allows you to have more than just three celebrity impressions. And I think, again, we're going for volume over sort of a deep dive in the writing, um, you know, and I think like, you know, if you had a different show, you couldn't have had a Sofia Vergara, which I thought was one of the high points. And, you know, and and Tony Bennett and, and Aria Grande. I also want to say here, you know, uh, anyone who listens to this podcast has heard me go on and on about my rule 
rules of cameos. And here, I'm going to call out my beloved Saturday Night Live for for an opposite. They're, they're, the rule of cameos when it comes to the writers. Uh, Miley Cyrus, who uh, we are not surprised to see in sketches. She's going to be in multiple sketches tonight uh, and, and a game at that. But I do feel like from a writing and production standpoint, the rule of cameos is let the person walk onto the stage. And at a minimum, if you're going to cut to them already being on the stage, give them the first line. So we lose all of the fun of seeing our musical guest be in a sketch when we cut to her standing and looking at an SNL cast member doing an impression of Chris Helmsworth. It was such a, a unfortunate sort of moment for Miley Cyrus that I think not that they really gave her much to do, uh, but it was sort of a wasted sort of cameo moment. And then she sort of then gets one up by Liam Hemsworth actually showing up and being there. And of course, walking in, getting the applause, having the first line and getting his moment of a cameo. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was sort of a strange sort of way that they approached it. The only way I, I could understand it is maybe this was written for just a cast member of SNL. And at the last minute, Miley said, can I do that? And threw herself into the sketch. Oh, don't worry. There'll be a couple more moments this episode for Miley to shine. So uh, I guess yeah. for her appearances, though, in the three sketches, I think the bronze definitively goes to this one. I agree. Yeah. So we go to our first pre-tape. We go to a White House press conference directed by Oz Rodriguez, where we're going to see Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, get a little bit more of the spotlight as a character on SNL than kind of a setup for a press conference with uh, Sean Spicer or with Donald Trump. Uh, and here we're going to see she's going to basically sing Demi Lovato's song Confident and sort of kind of parody the music video, but sort of kind of not at all really reference the music video. Um, um, and uh, I thought this was kind of a pretty big wasted opportunity. I don't really know what I was supposed to get out of this. And I love 80 and I, I like the idea of the intercutting to the reporters. Um, but this uh, it wasn't a full miss for me, but it was definitely kind of I was waiting for the funny thing to happen that never happened for me. I'll always compliment these pre-tapes on the production values, especially with them cutting to the music video, which that was the other thing that I, I watched right before coming on here. There really weren't many comparable images. You know, this is not the uh, the Melania aid that we got last season where you could really compare shots side by side. And like you said, I'm happy that we get some time for 80. I feel like 80 outside of the, the chicken stuff really hasn't done too, too much in these four episodes. So I'm happy that she really got some time here. And I'm happy they're building out the character, but nothing was really funny to me. This was definitely more fun than funny. I think the thing that really uh, I enjoyed the most was cutting between her trying to explain the tax plan. It was almost reminiscent of, you know, when Melissa McCarthy would use yes. Channel Sean Spicer and describing, you know, the, the, the travel ban using the dolls or using whatever other methods when she's using like a, a, a kitty maze to uh, describe the tax plan, reading off riddles, etc. That was uh, reminded me of some fun moments from last season. But I'm glad, again, they're diving into more people from the administration. I didn't necessarily find the humor in this in particular. Yeah, and I would say to to the to the point we'll wrap up here. I feel like SNL impressions when you're dealing with political figures, they sort of the good ones fall into two camps. They're either very cutting or they're very crazy. So you have Jeff Sessions and you have Donald Trump working very well. Um, you know, and you know we see Mike Pence getting more into the crazy category, which is working effectively. Sean Spicer was clearly in the crazy category, uh, and here I think that that's where we need to go with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, I think 80, who is more than talented and, and capable in the writing, I think they need to sort of figure out, like, OK, we have to heighten this. Do we get more cutting or do we get more crazy? But they, they need to pick one or the other because sort of just general defiantly I'm lying to you and I don't care is isn't quite enough just yet. So mm -hmm. that's OK. We've got more to come. Uh, we, our next sketch, we go away from topical. The uh, the ad council is giving their lifetime achievement award 
to Larry David's character, and we're going to see some of his early PSAs that uh, in hindsight are maybe a little less politically correct than he uh, remembers them. Um, you know, and what you know, we see the first one, which is, you know, smoking, you know, no way that's gay. And, you know, now we're seeing that in the lens of 2017. Um, I thought this was fun in for me in that, you know, the, the we established the joke very quickly. We understand this is going to be a sketch where we're going to go back. Of course, we're going to go back to multiple pieces where it's just going to heighten and heighten. Uh, and so it's one of those. It's a little bit of a magic trick. We kind of know what's coming. Now we just want to see, you know, what you can do next. And I think the second one uh, where, you know, something, so, you know, some people with disabilities is retarded for me actually did land as like, oh, they did heighten it. And then from there, it then felt like a retreat backwards. So I, I don't know that we actually continued to heighten enough for me to make this continue to be fun. But I certainly like that they went there. Yeah, this is probably my favorite live sketch of the night just because it felt the most structured. Uh, I do like, as you said, when we get this introduced, you know that something bad's going to happen in the commercial. But the first time it happened with No Way That's Gay, I, I was as surprised, I think, as the audience. But I think it's fun. And I think it's a good point about how, you know, even as late as like the early 2000s, people were using these terms uh, in kind of a derogatory way, whereas nowadays uh, they would not be. And I thought my my one qualm, I think, is I wish the Larry David character had some more to work with. I think he was sort of a good straight man in responding to these things but i just wish they cut to him more and more but that, maybe that's just because i love the ponytail they ended up putting on him and i will agree that it was a little bit of a de-escalation and a little confused with that last one where you know you have mikey day waking up uh, and it's the interracial couple video and when i heard interracial couple video i thought wow snl is really pulling out all the corks tonight uh they're gonna make the news in so so many ways the next day because uh i i thought other things might have been said but then we get keenan waking up as sort of like this very flamboyant caricature but that's not even the joke of the sketch it's your chances of making a good decision are shorter than a midget uh, but what i will like what i will say is i really did like the ending where he's like oh no you know uh go to some of my, my more modern stuff and then she goes cecily says oh yeah it's great uh we'll we'll work uh you did some fantastic work with touting a celebrity, uh, you know, advertising a product such as Bill Cosby with Jell-O. And that's really all you needed uh, to sort of close the book on that. So, again, from a pure structure perspective and the way it built and the way everything played out, this was my favorite live sketch of the night. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we, we go to another pre-tape. We're going to have three pre-tapes tonight, which is which is a lot. Uh, we're going to see a music video for the Baby Steps. So uh, Miley Cyrus is back to to dance with uh, and and sing with uh, Chris Red and Pete Davidson and Kenan Thompson. Uh, you know, and here is you know uh, the sketch. The the premise is that Larry David does not want to be part of the sketch. So we're going to go meta for the sketch. Uh, and, you know, for me, I think when it started, you know, the actual music video itself seem amusing enough where is it going to go we start intercutting with larry david i was not a fan of this as it sort of launches is sort of like okay we get it larry david does not want to be in it but i think once they get to the point where larry david shows up to the set and is berating them i i was quite giggly about this i thought this was a very fun silly one note joke that for me worked yeah i mean when snl gets meta i mean we've even seen this as recent as the trump wants to uh, leslie wants to play trump or the leslie and kyle pre-tapes you know snl has such a storied history that i think now you can really acknowledge some of the backstage stuff and you really got it here but like you said the premise in initially revealed itself once we sort of cut to larry david i thought we were going to do another take on uh that sketch that like rap song sketch from last season where it was they kept introducing people and the song never actually started i thought that's where we were going at first but i did like the turn it took that you know larry david just refuses to do the sketch and i agree the highlight was when he stormed onto stage in particular the line of the sketch was uh larry talking to keenan and saying you know how long do you have to be here to not do that kind of stuff and keenan just muses <laughs> i wish i knew uh, oh great oh such a great moment yeah and a, little, and, a, and a little bit of like i don't know if this is intentionally tying into the continuity but when miley was talking to pete davidson about like oh can you edit me out of this sketch i i was hoping it connected with pete davidson's uh time on weekend update a couple episodes prior when he talks about like nobody lets my ideas on the show because they're all weird i'd like to believe in my heart of hearts that this is part of that canon that this is one of pete davidson's big harebrained sketches that they finally Lorne acquiesced and was able to make it on air but 
that's probably the big SNL fan in me and is most definitely a piece of fan fiction. Yeah, fun stuff. Definitely fun stuff. So cool. So then we get to our musical guest, Miley Cyrus. Uh, I will not pretend to be the biggest Miley Cyrus fan, uh, um, but I will say I definitely thought when she started Bad Mood, I thought just between that she looked more like an adult that uh, should be taken seriously and she sounded good. Um, I don't know that I'm going to be listening to Bad Mood or her second song, I Would Die For You, uh, a second time in my personal life, but I just thought as someone who's been around her uh, since she was a little kid, uh, you know, uh, you know, in pop culture, I sort of felt like, oh, I feel like this is a little bit more of a growing up moment. And uh, and I thought she did quite well, mm-hmm. if, if not even my taste still uh, still seemed quite good. Yes. Baby snatch. No more. I mean, first, I will say that uh, I thought she looked fantastic in both of her choices of wardrobe as well. I really enjoyed both of the songs. The first one, Bad Mood, felt like more of like a a hard rocker. I mean, Miley Cyrus has such a powerful voice uh, as it is. So I think she really rocked it out. And she, you could tell, I mean, she's been a performer since birth. And so she really owns that stage. She knows that stage from her number of times as both a musical guest and a host. And I thought her second song, I would die for you more of like a little bit of a country crooner. I definitely enjoyed both of them. Uh, So even though, Unfortunately, I think due to her voice obligations, Miley Cyrus, with her uh, cameos being an exception, was kind of relegated to musical guests after doing double duty so many times in the past. I was still happy to see her on Studio 8H stage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely fun. So then we have uh, we go to Weekend Update uh, and I thought the guys just starting starting with the guys. I thought in general, this was a fun one for me, a fun uh, weekend update. And I thought the guys were really hitting. I thought there was a lot of fun stuff, a lot of between the tax plan and Trump and a, and a bunch of stuff. I, I thought the guys hit off a lot of good jokes. I, I, I really liked, uh, you know, uh, I feel like Michael was sort of hitting uh, well and his timing was strong and his delivery was strong when he was talking about that, you know, Trump wants to get rid of the immigrant lottery, uh, you know, and saying that we probably shouldn't get rid of an entire program because of one individual we don't look at Trump and say, let's get rid of all presidents. I thought that was like a really nice piece. So I, I thought that the guys were really fun and, and brought it this week. I will say overall that weekend update for me was the highlight of the episode. We'll talk about the correspondent bits as well. I feel like it gets it's very rare on SNL that we get an update that's strong, not only in its correspondence, but also with the guys bantering back and forth. And I agree. I mean, Che was really going into some of these more quote unquote clapter moments, especially with his first monologue about, you know, Trump on Twitter and talking about like, I'm sort of done paying attention to him, uh, you know, and then going in saying you're a public servant, you work for us. Uh, Interesting thing, by the way, about Twitter. I know that you said we wouldn't touch on too many current events, Rich, but I am intrigued by the fact that Weekend Update didn't touch on a couple things like the Kevin Spacey stuff, or especially with regards to Trump's Twitter, uh, the, you know, what, 11 minutes or something that somebody somebody deleted his account on Twitter. I feel like they could have done something about that, but we do have two more weeks in November, so maybe they'll do some more on that at some point in time. But Che had another great run about, you know, the whole NAACP American Airlines thing, uh, where he, I mean, he starts off with his own kind of racy joke saying, you know, both of them were late to the meeting, and I can say that because uh, I'm a racist. But Colin got some great moments as well. I liked the MTA being ranked best in the country by masturbating hobo monthly. So (laughs) I totally agree. Very strong update overall, uh, but especially with the, the banter between these two guys. I think a few weeks did a body good for both of them. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and so we're going to have three features this episode. Uh, the first is the Trump brothers, Eric and Donald Trump. Uh, and again, sort of what I was talking about with impressions, we're not covering any new ground here. Um, but what we're going to do is we're just going to take the character of Eric Trump and just make him crazier. It's not even really more cutting because it's not based in a lot of specifics. Um, we're just going to sort of make him even dumber and even more idiotic. And uh, the bulk of this sketch the comedy of the sketch was basically that Mikey Day's Donald Trump Jr. is saying something legitimate and Eric Trump, uh, Alex Moffat, is just mocking his hand expressions mm-hmm. while he's talking. And I love this. I thought that was so strange. Stupid and so funny. I had such a great time with this. I I thought this was great. And this is how I feel like you do a recurring character without it being Mad Libs. Uh, Because even though, again, it's the same type of game, like you said, of Eric sort of 
being a little bit of a dullard and blurting things out, whereas Donald Jr. is trying to sort of navigate that tricky line in, you know, uh, covering up some things, perhaps. They bring new ways to do it. Even just mirroring the gestures is this fun moment where he's in the midst of doing it. And then Donald Trump points to Eric and Eric points off screen, just yes. sort of not even realizing that he's uh, not yes. supposed to be that he's referring to himself. I mean, I think the the expression that might have gotten the biggest laugh out of the entire evening was the whole fun dip thing when Eric realizes yes. exactly what fun dip is and gets his first real taste of the dip and not just the stick. I'm so happy that they're giving Alex Moffat more to do. I feel like last season was really Mikey Day after being a writer for so many years saying like, hey, I can be a performer too. I can be in all these really great sketches and prove I'm not just a featured player, a Luke Knoll, if you will, who's only there to fill out the background. And I'm happy Alex is getting his due here as well, because, yeah, Eric Trump is really the one to bring the humor to these. And I'm excited because I hope this is an indication that they'll keep bringing them back, but find new ways to play with the characters that it won't seem old. Now, I do want to just say, to be fair, that I don't believe that uh, they got the fun dip right because the fun dip stick is so much better than the bullcrap sugar packet that they give you. So I actually think that Eric Trump was right in the first place to not play that game and to just go straight stick because these days I haven't had a fun dip in a while, but the last time I had a fun dip, I ripped off those sugar packets and I threw them in the garbage where they belong and i just sucked a stick like a 13 year old kid that i am in my mid 40s so mistake on there also they didn't really go anywhere with that which was a little bit of a bummer but uh you know hey that's okay um so yeah i agree with you though i love that they're doing that that kind of stuff was uh you know much more fun all right let's go into speaking of other featured players let's talk about someone who definitely has had a lot of less camera time outside of that Again, still really weird final sketch from the Gal Gadot episode. Let's talk about Heidi Gardner as Angel, every boxer's girlfriend from every movie about boxing ever. Yeah, I thought this was a fun piece. It was a very silly piece. It was very well done. You know, Heidi Gardner comes from the groundlings out here in Los Angeles. And uh, if you're if you're a Los Angeles native, you know, there's there's the main company, which Heidi was in for for a number of years. There's also a thing called the Sunday Company, which is sort of like the uh, the the sort of the B team. You have to be in the Sunday Company before you then either get voted into the main cast or not. And a big part of the Sunday Company is writing monologues is that you have to write a certain number of monologues per period. And so some great characters that we have seen on SNL have come from Groundlings alumni that actually come from the Sunday Company monologues. And I was watching this, really liking it. And I don't know this for a fact, but I I bet that this is true, that Heidi actually had created this character in the Groundlings during the Sunday Company monologue section because it had such a good feel to it. It didn't really have anything to do with any current events. I think this is definitely where we're sort of taking an interesting character that really can't work as well in a sketch that needs to be doing a monologue. So we're using the update desk feature uh, chair as a place to sort of place a monologue that actually has nothing to do with the current events of the week. But that said, I thought she had a lot of fun stuff. I thought this was very on point and I thought the interplay was really fun. Yeah, uh, I would almost compare this to when Cecily first did every female from a male driven comedy and that the character type is both very vague and very specific. And I feel like both times that those characters debuted, they really knocked it out of the park because of just how specific they were in their behaviors and how you might think on paper that a woman who consistently talks about how she is not down, she's not out, but she's had it and she's ready to take her kids to her sisters would not be funny. But maybe it was Heidi's delivery. And I do I do disagree with you a little bit that while it wasn't necessarily current, I did like that maybe unlike some other recurring characters that we see, she actually did tie the current events into her talking a little bit. Like true, when, they, true. when they brought up yeah. the iPhone 8 slash iPhone X, she was saying, you know, you think you're the fighter. I still got my 4S. I don't give that up on anything. Uh, I oh. love the, the Snoopy balloon that's coming back. She says, you know, Snoopy, yes. you're just a broken down piece of rubber. So I'll admit this character oh. grew on me yes. as the sketch progressed. And like you uh, lampshaded at the very beginning, of this podcast i also like the the fun runner of her consistently wanting to make sure that colin knew that the kids were going to go to her sisters should a worst case scenario happen so i'm going to expect this character will hopefully come back if only to give heidi some more screen time i'm just hopeful that they turn it into more of an eric and don jr type of thing than when we got to see every female in a male driven comedy come back and it was kind of more of the same 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and then we finish off. I was surprised that we had a third uh, feature. Leslie Jones is back to do a little bit of stand-up comedy, although really just it's a it's a quick couple of uh, you know uh, Yankee sports baseball fun things to get to you know our our eighty fifth, eighty sixth, and eighty seventh cameo of the night, which is three of the Houston Astros. Which uh, even though I became a very fair weather Dodger fan at the last possible second living in Los Angeles. Uh, so I was bummed to see the Astros win. I thought this was very fun. Who cares that it wasn't funny? We don't want them to be funny. We don't need them to be funny. It was just, I just thought a lot of fun and they had a lot of fun together. And if it was between them doing this and the winning Chicago Cubs last year, uh, s- starring in a sketch as male strippers that were dry humping a dead older woman, no. uh, give me the former any day of the week, personally. Yep. Get in, get out. Uh, very fun when she's talking about how uh, someone was proposed to at the World Series and she's Altuve. Uh, looks like he's kneeling right now. He's on one knee right now. And and him sitting in her lap. All really fun stuff. Just fun, good energy. This is what we want from SNL. It's yeah. current. It's fun. It's great to see them. We're not going to try to make them into comedians. We're just going to be like, here they are. They're the winners. This is part of their victory lap. Good for them. And we're out. So we got three more sketches after weekend update. The first is a live sketch, which is a, a, uh, a, a in a high school or middle school uh, a broadcast before homeroom called Fresh Takes, um, which I, I it made me not that this was a bad sketch, but I this was a very muddy sketch for me. They they were on a set that looked like they were on CNN, and I I wasn't sure like is this a takedown of CNN or do schools in 2017 have these beautiful sets for their in-house shows. So uh, I, I don't know that I liked it or didn't like it. I just was very sort of lost as what this was. What it was not for me clearly was one of my favorite uh, recurring sketches, Wake Up Wakefield back in the day with Maya Rudolph and Rachel Dratch, uh, which was very clear to me, something that I understood uh, that reminded me of high school. I don't quite know if I know what this was. Yeah, I think – like you're saying, I believe it was a mapping game with saying, what if this high school, Lincoln High School, took their news as serious as something like CNN? And we were getting that a little bit, I feel like, when they were sort of the discussion of, oh, who was the person who farted in gym class in first period? And it seemed like they were talking about these people like they were like legitimate political figures. It was sort of like they were pulled in a bunch of different directions, and I feel like the only direction they really went with, oddly enough, was Larry David as uh, as the AP U.S. history teacher who had all the gossip, but his gossip was all about what he was assuming about other kids' sexual habits. Uh, I thought there was a fun moment at the end, too, where they were saying, oh, and, you know, uh, and this teacher is in trouble for his comments about this person. I thought there would have been something fun that you could have built a sketch out of that. But then it also robs us of what I thought were really fun cutaways, in particular the first one with the Lincoln High Magic Club. Uh, And then, uh, you know, our Luke Null cameo as uh, the unfortunate kid whose breath uh, smells horrible and is like the best worst male in that drama club. So I felt like there was some inklings of things there. I enjoyed it personally overall. uh, But I feel like if they had been a little more specific and decided to go in in a different or in a certain direction with what they were doing, it could have had a much stronger point of view and maybe could have been bumped up to the beginning of the uh, episode. Yeah, it would have been clearer for me. I will also say this is, has nothing to do with his talent or his ability to perform. When they cut to that, I, I was like, who's that guy? Like, is that like an extra? Is that someone doing a cameo? And I just wrote it off as like, I guess they put an extra in a sketch and it wasn't until the next sketch that I was like, oh, that was Luke Nell. No, I, I forgot that Luke Nell was on the show. And so I forgot about him, which my apologies to Luke, but had nothing to do with him. But it was, that was brutal. Like, oh, you are not, I mean, we're only four episodes in, so no one has to panic, but oof, Luke, we got to get you in some sketches let's go yeah and i will say um i also really liked the again going back to the mapping game idea i like the press conference with nurse pam where she was saying like i have the results in for the scoliosis test again i feel like i enjoyed this sketch but if it had veered more heavily into we're taking typical high school things and bringing it into a 24-hour news setting maybe the sketch could have been stronger in that regard 
Yeah, I get. Yeah, it's funny because with that piece, I didn't even know what that was. I was like, okay, she's making an announcement. It's scoliosis. I remember scoliosis, and was like, okay, so wait, is that a thing? Like, what what did we just make fun of there? I don't. I really don't know. So, but anyway, um, let's move on to the last live sketch of the night, which for my money was one of my favorite, even though it was insanely dumb there was it was a pointless sketch where uh i guess he's a lawyer larry david uh, has just married um uh, candace played by cecily strong um there's no reason i should have liked the sketch it's pointless it's meandering it's throwing uh all these different things uh at it and and yet i just thought this was so fun it was so specific it stayed focused to what it was we didn't sort of have sort of a, a we weren't really all over the place um and i and i liked seeing uh kate mckinnon be a straight person and just sort of call out how silly it was and then of course at the end uh, you know he starts laughing which is a separate issue but um just a really weird this is what i want to see sort of in the 10 to one slot these kind of weird silly fun pieces well then let me be the one to dole out the oh boy of this episode because th- this one was a rough one for me and not to say I'm, I'm a i'm a stranger to this idea this game that candace is gay famous as someone who has recently discovered rupaul's drag race in the past couple of years i find out a lot of these terms personally so i can understand exactly what was going on this just dragged on for me i don't understand why we had to have her come out with these shirtless men to do this performance (laughs) then we go on to this other tangent with between larry david's character and beck's character about where he picks out a lyric from the song and then they're arguing about the semantics of the lyrics it was just really tough to to nail down exactly what this sketch was about and then as you mentioned we sort of get into the end of it all where larry and kate to a certain extent kind of break by the end of it, I guess Larry sort of realized that the humor in the sketch was basically him saying words like hunty and twink, and that sort of got him going for the rest of the sketch. And I guess if we're going on the break spectrum of uh, Debbie Downer on one side and the Californians on the other side in terms of like whether or not someone breaking is good for the sketch, this is much more on the Californian side for me. I wasn't exactly saying, oh, isn't this great that Larry David's breaking? I was more so asking why is he breaking so mm-hmm. not not my cup of tea necessarily no tea no shade all right well i am gonna we're gonna close the show with another digital short an old good neighbor as we've got beck bennett and kyle mooney uh together with director dave McCarry for a uh, uh another sort of uh late 80s early 90s kind of uh awkward sitcom uh that uh for me is entitled uh boy i was i was wishing the clock could have jumped uh jumped back at this point so i could get out of this piece uh i uh, yeah this was this was a long way to go for for not a lot where uh you know we're we're doing sort of standard sitcom and and their their brother their cousin cj which is larry david uh is drinking too much and uh uh this was this was rough for me i'm trying to remember if because i believe this is the third iteration that's made it on air of these sort of stock 90s sitcom characters I'm, i'm having trouble remembering if you've liked this sketch at all no, I'll t- I know that uh, I remember going back a number of years, a couple of years now was Chris Pratt. I think t- 2014 might have been the first time they did this uh, season 40. And uh, I think generally it was a well-regarded sketch and I was not a fan. It did. It did nothing for me. Yeah, well, any people's assumptions out there are would be correct in terms of my opinion. I really enjoyed this, but I am, of course, the good neighbor apologist uh, on this <laughs> panel. I'm also I'm, I mean, at first I was elated to actually find that they were doing stuff uh i believe this might be like the first literal good neighbor sketch that we've seen this season i know they actually had a pre-tape that they had on the kumail nanjiani episode that ended up being cut the letter the later made its way onto the internet where they were like uh it was like a celebrity getting interview interviewing a scientist talking about climate change and it's clear the celebrity didn't really know anything about it it's tough to describe but I mean, as someone who grew up with these sitcoms, I'm always a fan of it, but it's also almost sort of a framework into the absurdity that Good Neighbor is. I mean, I 
it always gets me every time when they do these escalating cutaways where you have the giraffes running around and then they do one this episode or this time around where they do a cutaway and they come right back to the same setting and say one line and then they cut away again. It's just ridiculous. I thought Larry was very game to the whole bad acting game and I sort of like the runner of both smashing the furniture and then he ends up stabbing Mario or Mario as he calls him. I mean, this is something that's always going to make me laugh, but I can completely understand as with all good neighbor stuff if it is uh if it's not for everybody yeah for me the i i loved the moment of him stabbing uh you know the stabbing and i was waiting to see where does this go like oh great that's really fun what's next and then it doesn't actually go anywhere i was just like oh that's a bummer but it just was like oh that was a great setup like oh now we're gonna take this someplace truly absurd and uh it didn't feel like it did uh, yeah, so uh, so that ends the show. We've got a, a crowded 8H. There's no room for a moat, even if you wanted one, because we've got so many cameos uh, to, to get on the stage for the good nights. Uh, Larry did a very game. He said that he actually had a very pleasant time. Uh, he seems uh, he seems surprised by that. And then a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of milling about. And, you know, Larry himself, I think, is always a little awkward, spends a lot of time with Alec Baldwin, who he, I assume he's known for many years, more of his age group. But it just seemed like a general fun. I think the general feeling on the stage was sort of a fun we're back for November kind of feel to it. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to touch upon a couple of miscellaneous things as we sort of tie into the end of this episode, Rich. Uh, One thing that I want to start doing is uh, going to the r slash live from New York subreddit. Uh, There usually is someone who goes to the dress rehearsal and posts all of the sketches that they saw at dress rehearsal. And so we get to sort of figure out what sketches got cut. I know we were sort of talking last time about the Kevin Roberts character who actually was the precursor to David S. Pumpkins. that Not a lot of people realize apparently rich. There was another Kevin Roberts sketch that was planned to be in this episode. They got cut at dress rehearsal as well, as well as a couple of other sketches, uh, one called racist California raisins and uh, one, <laughs> one called big collars. I know we don't know exactly what the sketches were, but uh, on paper, rich, are you disappointed? We didn't get another Kevin Roberts sketch considering how much fun it was last time. No, not at all. And I was surprised to hear that uh, they were trying it again, which I had seen because I feel like I feel like Larry David has the personal gravitas and confidence to say we did that already. Like what more is there to do? Like how could this have I mean, unless they did something very, very different, I can't which I don't even know what they would have done. So and maybe they did try something very different and that's what didn't work. Um, I would say in general, obviously, I would have been more fun because this was there were there was a lot of sketches we could have skipped this week um but uh i i'm glad that we sort of keep kevin roberts in the vault as that was a very funny sketch and we're going to keep it there he is perennially searching for his donut he'll never get it at this rate uh speaking of david s pumpkins i feel like the other thing we'll need to talk about is Last week, in lieu of SNL on Saturday night, they aired a little bit of a Halloween special. But the big new thing that they pumped out was a David S. Pumpkins animated special. Rich, did you watch this? Do you have any thoughts and do you have any questions? Oh, I of course I watched it. Absolutely. You know, and it was interesting. Much of the sort of blown out episode, the 30 minute episode is that uh, David S. Pumpkins is in both song and uh, and and in in scenes as animated, uh, trying to explain who he is. But he's actually not giving any information. Uh, and then when he says any questions, everyone's like, yes, I still have a lot of questions, which was both the runner of the of the of the bit and also exactly how how I felt about the half hour special. I left with more questions than I had answers. Uh, and in really in that, I don't know if this was trying to be a parody of the sort of Charlie Brown pumpkin, great pumpkin kind of specials, or if it was trying to be a new animated family friendly special. And, uh, I literally could not tell you having watched it once and some of it twice i don't know what it was supposed to be and i think it got lost in that sort of nether area and so it really didn't deliver on either even though there was certainly uh some funny stuff within it yeah i think that it was going for in your initial question the parody 
of the typical animated Halloween special. But in typical SNL fare, they're also going to tie some sub games into it, much like your Reese De What. I feel like the uh, the Peter Dinklage voiced narrator also had his own little game where, you know, he was trying to rhyme things and he also had his own little tangent that he was going off on. I think my favorite parts is when it gets back to that initial game of David Pumpkins. Uh, I think my favorite part overall was when they're scaring spoiler alert for the David S. Pumpkins animated special, by the way, for people who don't want to be spoiled. There's a point where they're trying to spook these bullies. And what they do is they just keep playing intro music, but he never actually comes in and sings. And the kids are sort of vocalizing just how unnerving that is. And that's what scares them. That's the point that I really laughed out loud over the course of the animated special. But the rest of the time, I was just sort of wondering, why? Why is this happening? What's the exact purpose of this? And it's also just weird to see David as Pumpkins animated. I don't know. The character just doesn't really carry over well into an animated setting. I mean, I guess there are much worse characters. Hell, there have been much worse characters that they actually have made full-length SNL-based movies about. Uh, I wonder how much play this is going to get. But, I mean, in true David as Pumpkins style, such an odd, nonsensical choice for a special. Well, and and I will say, you know, and in, in again, in, in a bit of a disagreement, you know, the end of the episode has this very sort of Charlie Brown warm wrap up, which is was definitely did not feel that did not feel like a, uh, you know, a parody of Charlie Brown, but trying to be its own Charlie Brown. So I really don't know what the hell they were looking at. It was, it was very odd for me. I really didn't understand it. But yeah, uh, considering yeah, that, I yeah. believe actually uh, Rob Sesternino, formerly of this podcast, he actually had his sons watch the David S. Pumpkins Halloween special, which considering it obviously I think did not have as much adult content as it usually is on SNL. So I guess it was suitable enough for kids. So who knows? Maybe the very thing that it, it was trying to mock might actually be self-fulfilling and actually become sort of a thoroughfare, family-friendly Halloween special as much as it, as it didn't intend to be. Yeah, and I I have a hunch we don't really see this again next year. I think that while the opening song was fun, and as you said, the sort of the the song where he never actually comes in was fun, and a couple of funny jokes. I don't know that this landed one way or another that we're gonna that we're gonna see it again. I think it's probably gonna get put in the back of the box and uh, and and only pulled out if there is a scheduling crisis. All right. Well, let's look ahead to the boxes that we're going to need to open on our way to the Christmas break here. Rich, who's on deck for next week? So next week we've got comedian. Tiffany Haddish with musical guest Taylor Swift uh, as we, you know, a lot, lot of uh, talk about that. It's an odd pairing and we'll leave it at that. We'll talk more about it next week. Um, as I said, I think Tiffany Haddish is very funny. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if her level of energy uh, is going to work as a host, uh, but we'll see what they do with that. Um, and Taylor Swift, I assume we will also see in a sketch or two uh, here or there. Uh, obviously, she's got a new album coming out a lot of people will be more focused on the taylor swift musical interludes than the comedy but we will be covering both and it feels like this might be the first time in a while that i think a lot of people are unfortunately kind of saying who to the host because uh tiffany haddish for those of you that don't know i know she's very big in the stand-up scene uh, she's on the carmichael's which is an nbc show but i think her big breakout role was in this most recent uh summer movie of girls girls trip where she yep. apparently like real i did not watch the movie but she had a huge standout role there and i'm excited to see her on here just because she's someone who's not really well known i watched some of her stand-up her best up as well before coming on here uh she plays very blue usually in her stand-up, mm -hmm. so I will be very surprised to see uh, if and when she does a stand-up monologue, which, by the way, this will be the third stand-up monologue in a row, which I feel like is extremely rare for SNL, and considering who the host is going to be after her, we'll see. We might be going in the, in the route of more unconventional monologues as it is, but it'll be interesting to see uh, what material she preps, she brings to the, to the set itself, but I'm excited to see her uh, be in sketches and, of course, to see our, our requisite Taylor Swift cameos as well. Yep, it should be a good episode. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this this is this was a, a fun episode to talk about. I think on paper now I'm starting to to enjoy this episode a little more than I initially had. I still don't think it was a very good episode. I still think SNL four weeks in has not had a dynamite episode yet to really knock it out of the park. But I'm hopeful that episode five might be the one to do it. Yeah, and as I often say, these days the standout blowout great episodes are almost always hosted by an alumni and we 
technically Larry David is one, uh, but is not truly in the, you know, Jimmy Fallon, you know, kind of, you know, Kristen Wiig kind of thing. So uh, I I think I'm still looking forward to seeing who shows up for December. Yeah. So if you want to give us your thoughts about this episode and who's to come, uh, you can always leave a comment on uh, the post show recaps post on this website. You can always reach out to us on Twitter. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Rich is at Rich Tack. We'd love to talk SNL with you all week long. What did you like? What didn't you like? What are you thinking about Tiffany Haddish or even Chance the Rapper and Eminem, which is coming up in two weeks as we sort of close out November. And if you have not yet, please subscribe to our podcast feed. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes. Once again, we are not on the main Post Show Recaps feed itself, which is doing a lot of great stuff currently as TV season ramps up. So be sure if you don't want to miss out on any sort of second of Rich and I talking SNL, postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes and any sort of ratings and reviews you leave are, of course, greatly encouraged. Great. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. 